quick announcements here. I just wanted to uh, reiterate uh, with that coming up in September 23rd, the uh, VBS prison outreach over there in Lima, specifically needing someone to help run games. Somebody feels led to do that and also could use some more help with that day as well. Um, it's going to start out early in the morning, go to the middle afternoon. But if you feel led to get involved with that, Karen is right there. Karen, could you wave? There's Karen. You can talk to Karen about that. Prayerfully consider getting involved with that. A great opportunity to serve. Also with the baptism today, I don't know if Renee or Rich mentioned this as well. They did a temperature check on the pond water, and I think it was about 68 degrees. So... Uh, Richard, who loves you guys very much, set up the also water trough, which will be about 90 degrees. So you can choose when you come today, if you're getting baptized, to either go into the pond or you could choose to go into the water. It still counts either way. I want to make sure you know that. There's only a difference of 22 degrees. So wanted to let you know that because I had some people legitimately ask, and it's like, yes, there was going to be that other one set up there as well. And church, come on out, support those that are getting baptized as well. You know, we'll talk about this during the actual baptism, but they're taking a public stand for their faith and publicly confessing Christ. The enemy's going to hit them. And we just need to continue to keep them in prayer in all ways. So a couple of just announcements that I wanted to share. So here we are in Acts chapter 4 and getting into Acts chapter 5. Let's have a quick word of prayer and get going here. Lord, as always, you wrote it. You teach it. Let your spirit lead and guide and direct. Thank you for the group that you brought out just to hear this. Pray, Lord, that we not only hear it, but we do it, we live it, and we act it out in your name. Amen. Now, if you haven't been with us through our study in Acts, the first couple chapters are setting the tone here of what's going on. This is a spirit-led, spirit-filled group of people that are going out there to see the world get changed. For Jesus Christ. That's what they want to do. And we've talked about the focus that they had back in Acts chapter 2. About being in God's word. Fellowship, communion, prayer. One accord is a word that we've talked about a lot. There's a oneness to them. They ran into their first opposition in Acts chapter 3. But they came together. Excuse me, as the body of Christ. And as they came together, they came together in prayer and unity and saying, we're not going to be bullied. We're not going to be intimidated. We're going to stand for the Lord. So you see this continual theme here throughout Acts, working together through the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit to be lights and witnesses with the focus on eternity. That same idea continues here in Acts chapter 4. So with that being said, verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things that he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each one his need. And Joseph, who was also surnamed Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated the son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So you see this oneness again. As I mentioned earlier, this is an ongoing theme in verse 32. They're of one heart and one soul. God has never called us to be island Christians. He's never called you to do this thing solo. You're supposed to be the body of Christ working together as a group. That is where the encouragement comes from. Paul talks about in Corinthians how we're one body but many parts. But we're all supposed to work together. There's this ongoing idea that we think we can go do it by ourselves. If we could do it by ourselves, God would not have called us to be one. We need each other. Now, that doesn't mean we necessarily like each other, but we need each other. 
We need each other to come together to really impact the world for the gospel. And sometimes it's an ongoing battle. The enemy will use interpersonal relationships in a church to cause distractions. And all the time and energy we spend fighting each other is less time and energy we have to see impacted for eternity. So you see a oneness here. A oneness of heart and a oneness of soul. What's a oneness of heart? There's an emotional connection. Romans says, we weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. When somebody is hurting, we pray for them. When somebody is rejoicing, we rejoice with them. There's a camaraderie there, a fellowship, a oneness. But there's also one soul. There's an eternal connection. We're going to be spending eternity together. We've got to get along. And so since we're going to be spending eternity together, this is the church, that focused goal of one thing that matters. So therefore, when we see things of the earth that start to bother us or get us worked up, we encourage one another to say, no, it doesn't matter. We're going to let that go. We're going to pray about it. But we have an eternal focus here because that's the one soul aspect. And that's where the body of Christ comes in. And what did they do as a church? Well, look what they did here in verse 32. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they all had things in common. Verse 34, Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each one as anyone had need. That's quite the passage. Now, this is not some type of Christian communism or anything like that. Take a look at verse 4 of chapter 5, which we're going to get to here in just a little bit. It's a story about somebody selling a piece of property, and look what it says in verse 4. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. New Living Translation says it much more straightforward. The property was yours to sell or not sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. There wasn't a forced thing. Don't read these passages and say, well, I guess that's the forced thing that we're supposed to do. And we're supposed to just take everything and bring it to the church there and lay it down. Well, let's talk about what this means here for a little bit. Because if this is not a Christian communism, if this is not a have-to, then what is this? Dustin, can you put that first slide up there? i got a lot of verses I want to go through with you. And you can turn there with them if you want, or I kind of gave just a little brief synopsis up there with those passages as we do it. First one's out of Luke chapter 6. Now, this is Jesus speaking here, and this is what he has to say. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies... Do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. Okay, that's the words of Jesus that are predating what we just read right there in Acts. So let's go to our next one there, James chapter 2. Once again, I'm going to read it there, but I'm putting the references up there, so that way you can follow along as well. James chapter 2 and verse 15 says, If a brother or sister is naked and daily destitute of food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for their body, what does it profit? That also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So I got Jesus telling me in Luke 6, if anybody asks you for something, you're supposed to give it to them. I got James now telling me in James chapter 2, that if I see somebody naked, daily destitute of food, I just don't say to them, Hey, I hope everything works out for you. I'm supposed to step up. I'm supposed to give it to them and take care of them. And then 1 John says this in 1 John chapter 3. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and truth. So now what it says in 1 John, if I see somebody in need, I'm supposed to help take care of them. 
So Jesus tells me in Luke, if I, anybody asks, I give it to them. I see in James chapter 2, if I see somebody naked and destitute of food, I'm supposed to take care of them. 1 John chapter 3 says, if I see my brother in need, and if I don't help them, I'm not showing the love of God. And how can the love of God abide in me? And then in Acts chapter 4, it said, I'm supposed to give up all my possessions, my house, my everything, and lay it down at the church. So if we take those passages then that's what we're supposed to do. Now, please remember, when you come lay it down at the church, Irvin has two E's in it. When you want to sign your house over to me, it's two E's. Now, all those passages are true. They are completely true. But this is where we also have to understand the whole counsel of God's word. And Dustin, can you go to the next slide now? What about Titus 3.14? Let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. Well, what's an urgent need? According to the Bible, an urgent need is indispensable. It's a necessity. I get phone calls a lot. A lot from, from areas for people that, that I don't know. You know, if I know them, it's a lot easier to say, hey, I know you. What can we do to work with this problem and see? I, I get phone calls from people that I've never met, and I, they're either just going through the phone book, found our information online, and they'll call. And they will ask, and they'll ask for a lot. I had one time somebody called me up, and they, they wanted $20,000. And I said, we're not a bank. And I said very lovingly, I wasn't being mean. I said, but we're not, that's not what we do. We don't loan money like that. We're here to represent the gospel of Jesus Christ. I said, if there's a need, help us to let us know. Now, here's the problem. Everybody has a different definition of need. Need. That's why I'm quoting the Greek of indispensable necessity. Now, when you really start thinking about what is an indispensable necessity in your life, Paul summed it up pretty decently when he said, basically, food and clothing. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, what does that look like then? Oh, what about the next passage in 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 11? If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. That if you're an able-bodied person, Paul is saying there in 2 Thessalonians, you know what, if you're able-bodied and you can go get employment, you need to go get employment. That's what you're supposed to do because the Bible says, if not, you're just going to become a busybody and just get involved in things you shouldn't be in. What about that passage? What about where Jesus told us in Matthew 10, 16, we're supposed to be wise as serpents, but peaceful as doves. So there's an understanding here of both of this, that I am supposed to be willing to say, Lord, it's not mine, it's yours. It's not my house, it's not my car, it's not my possessions, it's not my money, it's yours. And Lord, if you're opening a door for me to be able to serve and represent you to somebody, then I want to be able to do what Acts chapter 4 says. So if somebody doesn't have a place to stay, we got an extra room. Come, come stay with us. Somebody needs food, then well, you know what, we want to be able to help them out. If somebody is daily destitute of this, we want to be able to help them. But at the same time, too, we have to understand these passages of what it's saying. Jesus himself said, the poor will be with you always. Now, he wasn't trying to be mean. He was saying there's always going to be an element of society that is going to be hurting. And we need to have godly wisdom on how do we represent Jesus Christ to them. Because we want to do that. And we never want to be the people that look at Acts chapter 4 and say, well, I'm not giving up that. Why? Book of Mark says anybody who's given up land or possessions or house for my name's sake will be rewarded for that. You can never outgive God. But we need to be able to have a godly wisdom, the whole counsel of God's word, to be able to say, as I'm talking to this person, and I'm telling you right now, you'll hear some really good stories from people. Some really good stories. I, I remember, I've shared this story with you before. I've been, I think the first month, 
that I took over out here. So we're talking 17, 18 years ago. And I was just, you know, gun-ho. We were going to just represent Jesus and all we do and say. And so a woman came in with her son. And church is getting ready to start at the 10 o'clock service. And so she came and, and she told me the story. And I, it just it broke my heart. And I remember going up to Dawn, who was in worship at the time. And I said, I said you got your wallet with you? And she said, yeah. And I said, just what, what money do you got in there? Just give it to me. I said, there's this woman here, and she's just really struggling. So Dawn did, and we gave the money to the woman, and amen. You know, we give this tea in the name of Jesus. And, hey, why don't you stick around? Oh, I'd love to stick around, but I can't stick around right now. So, but you'll, you'll, uh, you'll see me around. Oh, I never saw her. Next Sunday, a guy comes up with a kid and tells me a story. And it's like, wow, I really want to help this guy. And as I'm thinking I want to help this guy, I look and I think, boy, that kid looks really familiar. <laughs> it was the same kid with a different adult. And wouldn't you know it, he couldn't stick around for church as well either for some reason. Then you, I started realizing, okay, hold on a second here. There's a wisdom in what we're supposed to do. There's a wisdom in how we present help. There's a wisdom in what we do. And, and I know that can come across sometimes as unloving. It's not unloving, it's wisdom. Bible calls me a steward of God's possession. So I'm a steward of what I have at my house or my car. It's not mine, it's his. I'm a steward of it. I need to be wise with that. Same thing with the finances out here at church. We want to be wise in what we invest in and what we do. And so therefore, yes, we are supposed to say, give to everyone who asks. Yes, if someone's naked and daily destitute of food, by golly, we're going to help. First John 3, you need help or we're going to be there. But at the same time, too, let's meet the urgent needs. Let's walk in wisdom. Let's encourage them, abled body. Why don't, what can we do to help you get further in life, not only spiritually, but also in the world there and work and employment, etc.? It's finding all of that. So does this mean that we just step back and say we don't help anybody? No. You help as the Lord leads. Remember what we said back here in Acts chapter 4. They distributed to each one as anyone had need. When you see a need, you start praying right there, Lord, what can I do to help this? And I just encourage you, is your heart open? Is your heart ready for it? Is your heart willing? Is your heart open to it? Is your heart ready for it? Is your heart willing? And I want to encourage you too. What I see here in Acts chapter 4, this is not necessarily giving of your extra. This may be giving more than what you think as needed. See, as a society, we're really okay with giving away our extra. You know, I went through my clothes and I realized I don't wear this much anymore. So there you go. That's giving away our surplus or extra. This may be going a little bit deeper where the Lord leads you and you stop and say, okay, Lord, what am I supposed to do? What does that look like practically? How about we think and pray before we actually purchase items? Maybe we don't need what we think we need because then the more money that is saved gives us opportunities later to really help the gospel. How about we keep our ears open for needs, our eyes open for needs, and how about our heart open for needs? We really stop and say, Lord, what can we do here? Because we want to represent Jesus. And God has made it very clear in these passages what that love can look like. But we also need to understand the other passages as well that go with that. Now, what's the result of this? Take a look at verse 33. Great power. Great grace. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. I love that idea of great power and great grace. That word great is interesting. You actually know it better by its Greek word. It literally means mega. So that is the word mega there. So what's really saying is mega power and mega grace. So when you are going into the supermarket or the grocery store or the gas station and you're buying one of those mega energy drinks, you're actually speaking Greek and you didn't even know it. It's an opportunity for you to witness right there. Did you know mega is a Greek word from the Bible? So you can just take it and run with it. But it's supposed to show that there's a whole nother 
level. Because there's many times in the Bible it talks about the power and grace of the Lord. This is great power and grace. Mega power and grace. This is a whole other level. Look at what the Lord is doing. What we see here in Acts, this great power. We have people being healed. We have people, the dead are going to be raised in a little bit. We see people just going deeper in their walks and relationships. And people are getting saved. This is great power. And why is there great power? Because they're giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And there's great grace was upon them all. See, you want that great grace upon you. See, the great grace is there to go do God's will. To do these hard things in Acts chapter 4 of, wow, I'm not going to look at my possessions as my own, they're the Lord. Or I'm going to have this great grace upon me. So Acts chapter 2, where it says I continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer, and, and getting together with the body of Christ. I can do that because God's great grace is upon me. Now this is where we've got to understand what grace is. Grace is a really interesting word. Really interesting word. The, the most simple definition I've heard of grace, and I, and I like this, is it's God smiling at you. He just loves you. <laughs> he just loves you, and he's smiling at you. Now, for those that like a little bit deeper, this is what it literally means in the Greek. Joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, merciful kindness by God. That's a great word. Who does not want joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, loveliness, merciful kindness by God? That's what we want. That's what grace is. Grace can also be translated favor. It literally means gift. God has given you a gift. He's given you favor. He's smiling upon you. Why is he smiling upon you? Is it because they did all these amazing works? No. That's the beautiful definition of grace. You can't earn it. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Because if you could earn it, if you deserved it, it's not grace. Paul goes into more detail on this in Romans chapter 11, verse 6. Listen to this. If by grace, then it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it's of works, it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What is he saying there? He's saying if you can earn it or get more of it because of your good works, it's not grace. Because grace in and of itself is free. It's God's just grace that he has upon you. You cannot earn it anymore. There's nothing you can do right now to make God love you more than what he loves you. Is that an amazing thought? There's, there's nothing you can do to make God love you right now more than what he loves you. So if you go home and you read all day and you pray all day, you witness to everybody, you sign up for every service and ministry that the church is asking for, and you do exactly what that passage said, I will give you my house, I will give you everything all for the Lord, he's not going to love you any more than what he loves you right now. It's not just amazing when you really stop and think about his grace. That's the beautiful thing about it. So then the flip side, so I don't have to read? <laughs> I don't have to pray? I don't have to minister? I don't have to? You don't, because he's not going to love you any less. Now think about that for a second. You can't do anything to make him love you more, and by what you don't do, it's not going to make him love you any less. That's the beauty of love and grace, is that he just loves you. He just loves you. Now, does he want you to read and pray and minister and serve? Of course he does. Paul wrote in Corinthians that the love of God compels me. So when I really understand what Jesus has done for me and his love and grace, that compels me to say, I want to do things for the Lord. Not I have to, but I want to. And I want to make God smile. I want to please my Father. 
I'll give you an example of this. It was just a couple of days ago. I got up in the morning. One of my boys came up and got up later. He came out, sat down on the couch. We exchanged pleasantries. How did you sleep? How are things going, etc.? He said, good. Talked for a minute or two. Then he, on his own, got his Bible out and just started doing devotions. Now, I just smiled. As a father, I just loved it. He didn't have to. Didn't force him to. He just did it. Loved it. And I thought, you know what? This is why I need to write that book on parenting. Because obviously we got it all figured out. Now, fast forward to yesterday. Sitting down at supper. And as we're sitting down at supper, I, I, I try to take that passage in Deuteronomy 6 true. Or in Deuteronomy 6, it says, talk about the Lord when you sit and when you talk and when you eat, etc. So, okay, we're going to talk about the Lord. So, sitting down at Deuteronomy 6 there, and I said, okay, guys, what did you guys do for devotions today? Because I left early yesterday for some church stuff. And as I was walking out the door, I took one of my boys, and I said, hey, when everybody gets up, because not everybody was up, get everybody up. And I said, do devotions with them, and since I'm going to be gone. He said, okay. So, I asked him, I said, so what did you do for devotions? As a family, after I left, puts his head down. He goes, um, we, didn't, we didn't do it. Okay? So I said, okay. You know, so we go around to each of the boys. What did you guys learn? What did you guys study? Out of the five boys, four out of the five didn't do devotions yesterday. So I'm not writing that book on parenting, so I'm going to just table that for right now. <laughs> but you know what? I don't love them any less. And I still smile at them because I love them. Them reading or not reading is not going to affect how much I love them because I love them. They're my kids. Them reading, I will definitely be proud of them. I will definitely be happy. It will grow them, and I encourage it. But if they don't, I still love them. See, and this is the idea of grace, and it's so hard for us because it's like, okay, James, what I hear you saying is, I am supposed to read and pray and witness and give and all this other stuff, but yet I don't have to, but I should because of what the Lord has done, and he's not going to force me to. Yeah, that's right, he's not. He just wants you to want to. So if a day I don't do it, he doesn't love me any less. That's correct. He does not love me any less. We just miss out on it. It's just grace. And he just loves us. And I have not done anything to deserve this. Nothing. It's just grace. See, it's hard for us to accept that there's no catch. Because everything in this world has a catch. One of my boys loves to go do the prayer booth. I try to go do just a couple hours in the prayer booth each year. I love the ministry. want to support it. And so I usually try to take one of my boys with me, and he always wants to go. And I started realizing the reason he wants to go is because we do a couple hours in the prayer booth, and then he says, hey, can we walk around the fair? So it's like, okay, you love Jesus, but now can we go do this? And he always wants to go to the merchant booths, just the merchant table, where everybody just has everything. And as we're walking through there, he's always, Dad, Dad, you could get free windows. I, I, I don't want free windows. Dad, they're free. No, they're not. They're not, they're not just, they say free windows. I know, but it's really not free. There's no such thing. And I, you know, I try to tell them there's no such thing as a free lunch. There's always a catch. There's always something except in grace. There's no catch. This is what's hard for our minds to, to accept. If a complete stranger comes up to you and says, I, I just want to bless you. I want to give you a very large sum of money. I want to give you property and a house. I want to do all this. You're going to say, no. What's the catch? See, Jesus comes up and says, I want to give you eternity in heaven. I, I want to give you salvation. I want to set you free from pain and guilt and shame. I want to make you a new creation. Okay, what's the catch? There is no catch. I just love you. There's no catch. No, there is no catch. It's grace. Okay, well, what do I have to do? Nothing. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. By grace you've been saved through faith, not by works. Okay, well, how can I get more of this grace? You can't. Romans 11. 
If you work for it, then it's not grace. And it's this amazing concept of stopping and just saying, Wow, Lord, you just love me and you just want to be with me. And so my only natural reaction to something so supernatural is to say, Lord, I want to be with you. And so therefore, I want to read, I want to pray, I want to minister, I want to witness because you have so touched me on what you have done. I want that mega grace. And when mega grace comes into it, you start realizing, wow, these aren't my possessions. I, I don't need this. Who, 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 who could be blessed? By, oh, I hear there's a need. I want to go bless them. How could I be blessing to them? That's what the early church was doing. It was this idea of just, I don't know, pick a name, Ephraim. You know, Ephraim comes up and he's from northern Africa. And Ephraim comes to Jerusalem. He gets saved. So the church would come up and say, hey, we got this guy. His name is Ephraim. He's from northern Africa. He can't go back anymore because if he goes back to his family, they're probably going to want to kill him because he's renounced that religion, that paganism. He's now a born-again Christian. And Ephraim has nothing. Nothing. Church. Can we help him? And the early church would stop and say, You bet. That's mega grace. That's the opportunities that we have. So let's keep our ears open, our eyes open, our heart open. Let's think before we invest in things. Lord, is this going to take away an opportunity later to represent you to somebody? And let's walk in this mega grace. That's the beauty of his love and grace. It's an amazing, amazing thing. Now, it would be great if we could just stop right there. The problem is human nature gets involved in everything. See, now, first off, real quick, before we get to chapter 5, we're introduced to Barnabas real quick in verses 36 and 37. And he's kind of just thrown in there real quick. You need to understand when we get to Acts chapter 9, he becomes a much more key player. So he's introduced for us right now in 36 and 37. But what happens now? Verse 1 of chapter 5, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet, breathed her last. And the young men came in, found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. A couple quick points. Number one, this is why we don't pass the plate. Because I don't want to pick up bodies. Number two, there obviously was a ministry in the early church of carrying out dead people. That's obviously part of those young men. That's what their job was. Now, before you look at this and you say, wow, they, because of the money? No, this is because of hypocrisy. Please remember, the sin that they committed was hypocrisy. We've already read verse 4 in two different translations. They were not forced to give this money to the church, none. The money was theirs. What they did was this. I'm just going to pick a figure here. They sold a piece of property, and they sold it for 10000 What happened is they came back to the church, and they said, Church, we want to give you the money from the land that we sold, and we sold it for 5000 so they get all the attention for giving the whole gift to the church, and really they pocketed five for themselves. What Peter is saying here is, listen, we don't care that you sold it for ten and that you wanted to keep five. It's your property. It's your money. Just don't lie about it. 
Don't be hypocritical about it. That's the sin that kills them is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy kills. The word literally means two-face. You show up to church and you're one person and you're something different through the entire week. That will kill you spiritually. You're acting. And so what happens is the early church said, we're not going to deal with this. So through discernment, this was revealed to them. This needed to be stopped right then. Now, does hypocrisy affect us today? You bet it does. How many of us just show up on Sunday and we want you to see a certain face? We want you to see a certain way that we act, a certain way that we live. And that is what we want you to see when the real us is not that way in any way whatsoever. That's going to kill you. That's going to just take away your joy. It's going to take away your peace. You're going to constantly be faking and acting. What happened if we just were real? And we said, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm having an issue with. Hey, could you pray for me? And we work together as the body of Christ. Instead, there's a pride and a hypocrisy that comes in. So that's what really was the issue. Remember, this was not required in any way whatsoever. And this was a team effort between Ananias and Sapphira to lie about it. Verse 2, she was aware of it. Peter gives her an opportunity there in verse 8 to say, what's the truth? She chose to keep running with this lie. And that lie is what killed them there. See, this is what we run into. We're not really worried about what the Lord thinks of us. We're worried about what everybody else thinks of us. And that's a dangerous place to be. Because nobody here died on the cross for your sins. Nobody here is giving you entrance into heaven. That's the Lord. We have to decide whether we're going to be a God-pleaser or a man-pleaser. And what happens is we think that by doing certain good deeds and actions and what have you, that's going to earn favor with God. Because the word grace is also translated favor. It's translated gift. And we already just established you can't earn it in any way whatsoever. In fact, in the Old Testament, Psalm 51 and Hosea chapter 6, David says in Psalm 51, you don't want more sacrifices, Lord. You want my heart. Hosea chapter 6 He comes out and says, God does not want any more sacrifices. He wants your heart. So understand what I'm saying here. The Lord is not asking you this morning, read more, pray more, give more, serve more, witness more. He's saying, how about I just have your heart? Because once I have your heart, and once you understand grace, you're going to want to read more, pray more, serve more, witness more. Because you're going to stop and say, Lord, look what you've done. And what a beautiful idea that is to realize it is not earned or deserved in any way whatsoever. Somebody after the first service came up and reminded me of Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love for us. Why we were still sinners. Christ died for us. That's grace. And so what was going on with the Nice and Sapphira? Hypocrisy. Pride. Not grace. They wanted the attention. They wanted the glory of it. And through the discernment there of Peter, it was taken care of. So what can we learn from this? How's your heart? I mean, that's really what it comes down to, is how's the heart? Is our heart truly given over to the Lord? Do we really understand that great power and that great grace? Do we fully understand that I want to walk in that? And when I get that, that changes how I live and it changes how I act. It's not a have-to anymore. And I tell you, it is so freeing spiritually when you realize there's not have-tos. I don't have to read. I don't have to pray. I don't have to come to church. But I want to, because there's an opportunity for me to be used by the Lord and to minister and to grow. And when I really understand that grace, it's like, oh, Lord, I want more of it. Because you're smiling upon me and you just love me. And what a beautiful understanding and picture that is. And I hope that's what you got out of this morning. And I hope you go home today encouraged to walk in his grace, as the Bible says. 
to walk in that beautiful understanding of He just loves you. And as He loves you, then that changes the way you act and react. The love of God compels us, as Paul says. And I want things to be different because it's the only reaction to what He has done and what He has done for us. Worship team, if you can come forward here for the final song. Hey, let's pray this into our lives. Lord, as we're just reading this and studying this, thank you for your grace, your amazing grace. Help us to never, ever forget how much you love us. And Lord, with that understanding then, Lord, help that love to compel us to go out and be the people you've called us to be in all ways and all things. If there's anyone here battling the hypocrisy, battling the pride, oh Lord, help them take the other mask off and just be who they are in you and your love and grace. And we want to pray for them and encourage them. Lord, help us to be able to let go of whatever we're holding on to in this world, that our ears, our heart, our mind is open to what it means to truly give, to truly say that this is a necessity. I want to meet this need and to let go of us, Lord. We don't need any more. We have you. Thank you for what you're doing and what you've done. Help us not just to talk about it or pray about it, but help us to go out and live it and always say and do. And I just want to pray one more time for all those taking that public step of baptism today. Encourage them, uplift them, Let the enemy be bound in their lives. In your name, amen.